Welcome to episode 355 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Canada. Happy Monday morning, everybody. All right, on this episode, Jerry Stellenberg from P3 Multimorphic will join the show. And as I said, we were going to change it up a little bit. Jerry will interview me, and we're going to flip the script and change seats for once. Now, Keep in mind, Jerry is an engineer. He's not a podcaster. So it might start off a little bit slow, but stick with it. We get to all the important questions that I know you want to ask of Jerry. And and no no questions are off or out of bounds or off limits, okay? So it's it's a really interesting chat. And I think you're going to hear what their strategy is. And it sounds like it's all going to come down to one very important thing happening for this company moving forward, all right? Before we do that... I just want to clarify for some of you out there that I'm still in on Willy Wonka. I am not bailing on the game just yet or at all. I just have questions about the code that I think a lot of you have. And I know Joe Katz was at the New York City Pinball Championships this weekend. And someone I know was talking to him and they asked the question about whether or not we're going to see... Uh, movie clips with audio in in the game and how that will be represented and so the answer I'm just paraphrasing is that there will be some wizard modes in which you will play some of the scenes from the movie that you love now what we're still not getting confirmation on is how those scenes will come to life will it be more of sort of like what we're seeing with the Wonkatania mode right when he's on the ship and you hear the call outs from that scene uh, but we do not see the the video clips uh, coinciding with it. So more to come on this. I'm actually going to talk to Jersey Jack this week, not on a podcast, but just call him up and ask him, you know, what the deal is and, and what we can expect. And I know for a lot of you out there who have shot the game, you know what I'm talking about. This game is a magical shooter. And we just hope that it checks every single box because it, ultimately... I think all of you out there, when you buy these pinball games, you don't really want there to be compromises. And you want to make sure that the game you buy checks all the necessary boxes. And for most of us out there, uh, for us to buy a game, we want to own a game. And for the long-term longevity of that title, the code needs to be pretty damn good. And I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it in the Munsters thread and the Black Knight thread. Lots of moping and moaning and groaning about code. And so... I think what we're all starting to learn is that in, in the pinball world, there might be different kinds of games in terms of how they're coded. Some of them might be coded for more simple, shallow rule sets that are easier to jump in and play immediately, and some are going to be a lot deeper. Uh, you know, so I, I consider it to be like some some races are a marathon and some are a sprint. And people love Iron Man; it's not the deepest code. And people love TNA, and it's not the deepest code. Uh, but, you know, I think people just want to know what to expect. And if they know that going into it, it helps them make up their mind without having to buy the game and then realize it's shallow when they thought it would be much deeper. And I think I think the game where that's happening the most is the Munsters. I think a lot of people who bought the Munsters or who are playing it, 
I think they thought it would be very similar to Batman 66, and it's not. It's, it's not even close. Okay, so let me air the interview with Jerry Stellenberg, uh, and I hope you enjoy it. Now remember, he's interviewing me, so here it goes. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode two of the P3 Pinball Podcast, the only pinball podcast smart enough to skip episode one, because, as all true pinheads know, episode one was a flop. So my name is Jerry Stellenberg, and I'm recording this from Multimorphic's brand new production facility in Round Rock, Texas. Today we're going to discuss a number of things about pinball's past, its present, and its future. I want to dive into the business of pinball, the engineering and design of games, the varying opinions about what makes pinball fun, what we should and shouldn't see in future pinball games, and of course, everybody's favorite topic, pinball marketing. Now, since at least three or maybe four of the 2,000 plus listeners of this podcast are super vocal about my knowing absolutely nothing about any of these topics, I figured I should bring in an expert. So without further ado, I'd like to offer a warm P3 Pinball Podcast welcome to the never shy, the never boring, the genius marketer, the man who just two weeks ago said, pinball podcasters should stop interviewing other pinball podcasters. The two-time Twippy Award-winning pinball podcaster, Chris Kaneda Caloris. Hey, Chris. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've been waiting to come back on your show for a while, so it's, it's, it's exciting to be back on the show. Thanks for, thanks for the invite. Absolutely. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm glad you could take the time. Anytime. So let's, let's get started. If you don't mind, uh, just because we probably have some new listeners since last time, can you, can you do me a favor and, and give us your background? Tell me about your career and maybe how you got into pinball. Yeah, I mean, I do marketing for Fortune 500 companies, uh, but I grew up in the arcade scene in the 80s and 90s, and I didn't get into pinball until about four or five years ago, and since then, I've become somewhat addicted to the silver ball because I love the randomness of pinball. Every game's different, unlike uh -huh. Donkey Kong, where you're just memorizing the code. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I, the, I got bit by the bug a few years ago. Yeah, it seems pretty common. We all do. But okay, so if I understand correctly, you make a career out of understanding people and figuring out the ways to get them interested in products from the companies you represent, correct? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's a good assessment of it. Okay. And of course, we all know it helps when the products offer something that meets the demands and desires of the customers, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so so let's let's jump straight into pinball and talk about it in that regard. Let's do it. All right. So you've been pretty vocal lately, as have I, about most new pinball machines released over the last few years, and I actually say over the last few decades, being largely unchanged and having basically no innovative features. So, given that most machines from the last ten or so years, or from ten years ago from Stern, are about the same as they are today, back when Stern was was, you know, they were struggling. They were the only manufacturer. Why do you think pinball's been going through a resurgence? I mean, I think the, the resurgence of pinball, there's a few things at play. I think that a lot of people who grew up with pinball in the, and I would say the heyday of pinball machines were late 80s, early 90s in terms of, you know, the, I think the Bally Williams era that people consider to be the best of the best. I think the people who grew up then are now older. They have disposable income and they now want to put fun toys in their home. So I think that's one of the things that's driving a lot of the home buyers, right? I also think there is a new resurgence of going out for entertainment. 
And I think people are starting to realize that bars are more fun when there are pinball machines inside them. So location play, home collecting, and then of course you've got uh, the, the tournament scene, which I think is, is, is fueling a lot of the location play because if you can put pinball in bars and have league nights, you're gonna get more people to buy your beer. So I think those three things are happening right now. So I think it's fair to say probably that the tournament is more of a result of the resurgence, that the people playing in tournaments growing so fast is more of a result of the resurgence than than a cause of the resurgence. But let me ask you a, 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 a deeper question. Um, do you feel like in the, I don't know, 2008, 2009 timeframe, the people with that growing disposable income that you're just talking about, they had that income then too, right? We're talking about people that are 30s and 40s and 50s. We're not talking about people who are just turning 20 or 25. Yeah, I would say though, like, are you saying they had the income back in the 90s or early 2000s? No, no, no. They, they, they had the income in 2008, 2009. Why weren't they buying machines then? Why was Stern struggling so badly just 10 years ago? I mean, I... I would say if you look at the games back then, most of them weren't that good. The games are pretty crappy. I mean, there's, there's a, I mean, if it wasn't for Lord of the Rings saving Stern Pinball, a lot of those games back then were pretty mediocre. They looked, compared to games today, they looked bad. Um, you know, they, they, it was kind of on its last lifeline, and there was a few good hits in there that saved them. But for the most part, mm-hmm. those games did not seem like people wanted to own them in their homes. And there were no, and arcades okay. were like dead around then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but so games like Lord of the Rings and a couple others kept them alive. I would almost argue that the variety of choices that that the ability for new manufacturers to start popping up and creating games that had different themes that they might have different artwork that some consider better, some consider worse. But the variety of games helped the resurgence, and the reason that more manufacturers could you know, could come up, could start up, could do these things is because of new technologies and new tools that became more prevalent in, in general industry. But things like our P-Rock boards, like CNC machines, like 3D printers, software tools and frameworks for code and art development, those kind of things, they've made it possible for other companies to start up. And they've made it possible for people like, I don't know, like you and me, people that play pinball a lot and have our own ideas for potentially what would make a pinball machine good. These tools gave us the ability to create machines. And having those choices, just if, if I went to Stern in 2008 and I said, okay, I want to buy a pinball machine, what do you have? And I looked at the two, op- the two options they had, I'd be like, well, I don't want either one of those, or maybe I do. But the odds of me liking both of them or one of them it was low. But now that we have 10 choices or 15 choices, the odds of liking something are better. So it, it, it brings more people into the community. Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, nobody wants to be in an industry in which there is no variety, right? I mean, Stern had a, a yeah. monopoly on pinball. And we all know that when you have a monopoly in an entertainment industry, the product doesn't need to innovate. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think we can agree. I've heard you talk about it before. I've talked about it a lot too. But the resurgence in pinball is absolutely not because of rule set complexity. Complex, deep rule sets, have, in my opinion, have hurt have hurt pinball they've made games not approachable and it's also obviously not because of increases in price right i mean back in 2008 the, what was a stern game like 3500 bucks i don't remember i didn't buy any new unboxed games at that time i, I they were definitely around like 4000 which is kind of crazy when you think about it right now we're we're double that if not more 
we are. And there the are sale, rumors, of course, and the sales are, that are you've booming. mentioned about uh, about Stern's cost to build versus everybody else's cost to build. But yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, so, given that all of these companies are starting up and, and we have all these choices. There's only a finite market size, and I've heard you talk about this before too, but I think it's worth discussing again. Can the market sustain all of these guys? Absolutely not. No way. Absolutely not. Right, and, and, and that's obvious. I think everybody would agree. So the question is, how do we take this market, take this idea of a pinball machine, and continue to grow the market and not just you know have all these companies fighting for the same for the same piece of the pie and then dying. Right. Well, I guess the thing is, you could look at it, you, you have to ask yourself, I mean, if you look at the market, has the market, have we reached sort of market saturation? Like, are we going to be able to get new people into buying pinball machines? It's easier to get people to play pinball machines, right? But converting those people into buyers at this price point is much more difficult. Uh, so it's hard to tell, Jerry, because I think the thing is, we don't have numbers. Like, I don't know how many games a year any of these manufacturers sell. So I, I don't know if 10,000 units a year is market saturation. I don't, I don't know if it's 15,000. Um, but, I, uh, you know, the way if, – if I were to look at it through a traditional marketing lens, uh, the, the way you would want to sort of grow the market is to develop a product that would get new people to be attracted to pinball who might not be attracted to the pinball – uh, that is currently available. I agree with that, of course. That makes sense. Um, there's another way to do it, though, and that's to lower the cost of development. And then this is counterintuitive, but lower the cost of the games. Sure. And it's counterintuitive because they're rising. They're rising now, and, and people are making more and more money. But the reality is Stern's making more money and all these small companies that are selling machines and only sell you know, 100 or 500 a year or whatever, they don't have the margins, they don't have the volume to create margins to make a lot of money. So these rising prices are only rising because they have to raise them to even be able to pay their paychecks. Right. So, that's, so, so that means it's really difficult to get the price down. That's what, yes. The current, the current pinball paradigm is almost impossible to get the price down because small companies simply can't afford to build machines at lower prices. So that's why Multimorphic exists. That's why I joined the pinball community. That's why I started the company in this, in this market because I personally think that the only way to make this industry survive or to even grow long-term is to change completely the paradigm. And to be clear... I'm talking about changing the business paradigm. I'm not talking about taking what makes pinball pinball and changing it. Like, you know, rolling the ball around a, a play field and interacting with physical objects. I'm not talking about that. That That's pinball. That's what needs to stay the same. But I'm talking about changing the pinball paradigm. As a quick aside, actually, there are still people who play the P3 and say it's not pinball. What, what do I say to them? But, but Jerry, I guess the question I have is what, what leads you to – I mean that's – but that's a big – that's a big sort of mission statement, right? To make pinball survive for the long term, we have to change the paradigm. What year did you have that sort of feeling? Because over the last seven years, Stern is booming, right? 
selling 10,000 plus games a year. It, it doesn't seem to be slowing down. So that assumption is the foundation that there needs to be change, but yet they're, but they've been so successful. So, well, you just told me thirty uh, a couple of minutes ago that you did think the current the current business uh, the current state was sustainable. Well, it's 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 sustainable for Stern, right? So if Stern can own eighty five percent of the market, let's just say hypothetically, and sell ten thousand mm-hmm. games a year, right, and make X amount of millions of dollars a year, and stay profitable and deliver four games a year, but and Stern, and, you know, and everyone there is making money. And, you know, are it, so then I guess the question is like that they could sustain that for indefinite amounts of time. And, then, and that's fine for Stern. That's not good for all these other people with pinball dreams who want to create more themes and create more choices for you and do all these things. All that dies. Right. Well, so then the, the question is, how do you take some of Stern's market share away versus how do you create a whole new market? I agree with that. Right. And so that's the so, challenge. It's, it's And sure. so is P3 trying to create a new market, like a new entertainment platform versus stealing some of Stern's market share or trying to do both at the same time? Well, I don't think we need to We need to choose one or the other. I think if we come out with a machine that, that interests people, whether or not it opens the door to a, a larger market – that's that's great. If it just takes market share, that's great too. But ultimately, we want to develop pinball machines. But we want to develop pinball machines that we feel like brings brings to pinball things that people want, but in a way that that we can sustain the market, that we can allow other people to help create content, that people can you know realize their dreams and build machines and come out with new themes and do all that stuff. So l- let's let's talk about why that makes sense though, because. This isn't a new problem. This isn't a new – pinball isn't unique in the sense that it was an industry that, that made its money, that, that grew doing things a certain way. Um, that's how video games were. That's how uh, typewriters were. That's how computer applications were. But they all evolved because they had to – why did they have to? Um, video games had to because – video games are big and they were expensive and they were single themed machines and they were these things that people didn't want to put in their home. So right. video games turned into a video game console and they came out with the Atari and then that was kind of the beginning of it. And now people everywhere can buy video games for cheap. They can buy all kinds of content because someone came out with this, this paradigm changing product and it didn't kill the arcades. It didn't kill individual stand-up video game or video game companies. Like Roth Reels still exist. Roth Reels still makes good money selling big stand-up uh, video game machines to to arcades and barcades and even to the rare consumer who wants to put a big machine in their home. But video games did take some share, a lot of share, obviously, from traditional video game developers, and they also expanded the market, obviously tremendously right but but the the i think the goal when you look at arcades into 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 home consoles right the the dream was always can i have the experience that i get in an arcade right and and for for a lot of it it was like can i get the same graphical experience and entertainment experience in my home right and we saw that right it it happened i mean the first the first true one-to-one 
sort of the same thing that was in the arcade that was in your home was Neo Geo provided that. That was the first time ever the graphic power was equal. Um, and since then, right, the graphic power in the home now is better than even what Raw Thrills is giving people out at Dave & Buster's these days. So do you think Pinball, Jerry, like is wants to go through a similar evolution so what what are you suggesting that a that a platform type pinball machine could not deliver the same pinball experience as a single themed traditional machine well, well well i guess the thing is like to your point right arcades went from being 300 pound single use games with a heavy crt monitor into something that fit in the palm of your lap right and and could be tucked under your tv and weighed less than five pounds right two pounds but pinball's still a 300 pound monstrosity that looks like it still belongs in an arcade and you know what i'm saying like pinball as yep. as a way to play it can't really evolve very much in in, in terms in terms of just like it's a physical thing that needs a certain amount of real estate in front of you like it's kind so, of... but arguably, no, that makes that makes perfect sense. But arguably, the video game experience is not just the console; it's the console plus that big TV thing. Right. And back in the day, that was a big CRT type TV, so it was still a fairly big thing. But it only took up that one spot in the home. Right. So, in that sense, a platform machine like the P3, and we can get into the details, um, is still a big thing it's still a pinball machine but it's just one and it can deliver the same type of pinball experience as any single themed machine in fact i'd argue that a game like lexi lightspeed is is just the same if not more feature rich and more immersive or whatever than any other new game and obviously people have their favorites but right it it is that but when people put it in their home all of the economics that makes sense for video game consoles, for multi-app computers, for multi-app you know, mobile phones, all these things that you buy once and you add applications to it, all of that makes sense not only for the consumer to buy uh, and to buy it in the form of a single machine to, to get their – to satisfy their pinball needs, but it also makes sense for the manufacturers. If, for example – I don't know, look out in the future, five years from now, there was Stern Pinball and maybe Jersey Jack Pinball and maybe a couple other one or two that, that are shipping games in the thousands or whatever and they stay alive. If all the other smaller companies or even some of the bigger companies had a platform that they could create content for, they could reduce their overhead, they could reduce their manufacturing, they could reduce all the expenses, they could literally just create that fun game content, you know, artwork and theme and and game layout or play field layout and game rules they could deliver that they don't have to manufacture machines and they can turn a profit at a much lower price right but is it still so, does it still give enough of what people want in pinball i mean that isn't that what well, that's the question in? yeah well so so yeah let's talk about that what do people want in pinball what makes pinball pinball to people i, I mean we say it all the time you know on on, on the other show not this one uh <laughs> the it's the world under glass you know, people want to walk up and they want to see a universe and a world under glass uh, that makes them want to flip the machine. And, and, and so I think first and foremost, the theme and seeing that theme brought to life underneath the glass is, is probably the thing that attracts us first and foremost to the pinball experience. Yep, I agree right. with that. Right. So as you think about the platform P3, do you think it's hard to 
create that world under glass. Because a lot of it, Jerry, too, is just like when the machine's off and you just, you're standing over it, you know, you're not going to get the same sort of colorful world that you'll get with the traditional pinball machine with the, you know, the artwork on the wood and, you know, all the toys and mechs there, like all, all colorful and in your face without even turning on. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think there are various segments of the market and, and everyone has different tastes. Um, going back to the video game comparison, when you take that Donkey Kong cabinet that has pretty Donkey Kong artwork on the side and a nice, uh, what's what's the word for their translate thing? On the top, marquee, the marquee yeah. on the top. Um, and then you turn that into a video game cartridge that you stick into your Nintendo or whatever. It's it's kind of the same deal when it's off and when it's not loaded, it's it's not that artistic experience or that presentation. But there are people who value gameplay more than artistic presentation and there are people who who value that, you know, that nice looking piece of furniture in their house that they want to be themed like whatever their favorite movie all the time. So there's certainly not only one type of consumer who always wants their machine to be on. Um, the people who see the value of paying $2,500 for each new game instead of $10,000 for each new game probably don't care that it doesn't look pretty when it's off. Right, right. You know what? And it still looks pretty when it's off because it's got full cabinet artwork. It's just that when you stand over the playfield and look down on it, it doesn't it doesn't show any content on the playfield itself. Right. So how so how so how, the platform, right? How is it do you feel like now is the time? I mean 2019. Is it when when will you, I don't I don't know how 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 does it compare to where we are with sales with these current companies? You know, I mean, it's that is that what I guess the question I have for you, Jerry, is what matters most, right? Innovation or like being profitable? So th- th- there's there's a, l- a lot of things to cover there, but if I didn't see a path to profitability, then obviously I'd be throwing my money away and I wouldn't keep doing it. Um, and it's obvious, it's clear, everyone knows that our sales aren't growing as fast as they need to be to be profitable in the short term. The thing is, it's another aspect of the of the platform model. Um, the way to judge the success of an early stage paradigm-shifting product is different than against a you know a single themed machine from another company. If if Stern comes out with a game. Um, Stern's maybe a bad example because they're doing really well and they could probably survive a, a a bad release. But if any other of the small companies came out with a machine that that nobody liked, they'd be dead, right? No, no. I mean, we see it all the time. Houdini didn't sell; still around. Oktoberfest okay. is not going to sell. Uh, okay, okay. So you're talking about a a company that had you know well, they, a, a large financial back. Yeah, 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 yeah. If someone came out, yes, yeah, so, to your so, point, if it was so like... It gave them, it gave them runway. Yeah, if, like, I mean, Highway Pinball is a good example, right? I mean, really what bankrupted Highway Pinball was most, most likely, other than a million other things that they did wrong, was Full Throttle, right? Full Throttle was a sales disaster, and that was their first title. And they needed Full Throttle probably to sell more than the amount it did to earn the money to build the alien machines, right? So that's a good example of... If your first title and you is a flop and you've got a lot invested, it's hard to move on a title too. Yeah, if you don't have a big budget or a big financial backing, that's tough. Um, but that's true for a single themed game for sure, and it's partially true for a platform as well. But but what does it take? 
let's look out in the future and then come back to the current and, and see what, what the numbers mean. But what would it take for a company like Multimorphic with a platform machine? What would it take to get over the hurdle? How many machines do we have to sell before the platform model, the ecosystem, the, the multi-game kind of purchasing kicks in? Right. I, I don't know. Do you, I mean, do, is that something you guys have projected or is it, is it, so, so, it doesn't feel like it should be so like an opinion based answer. It should, there should be like some sort of financial threshold answer. Well, so, so it's difficult to answer only because at some point there are enough P3s out there where it makes sense for third party developers to commit to the platform. Sure. Right. If there were say, if there were say 200 machines out there, would it make sense for a, another company, another pinball company, or another content company, a game company, to create a game and sell up to 200 of them? Probably not, right? They're not going to make enough money to overcome their, their costs. Right. But you can, you can estimate the cost to make, a mach- to make a game, a game for a platform where you don't have to absorb the manufacturing prices and and the uh, the cabinet structure and the back box and all the pieces that are already part of the platform. So you can estimate those prices. And we've done that relative to a traditional type of game. If we're not building more flippers and more you know power supplies and more circuit boards and the cabinet and the legs and the balls and all that stuff, if we take out all the all the common components, then we can build a game for a price that gets profit at a sales price of $2,500, which is what we're selling Lexi for, which is what we're selling Cosmic Kart Racing for. So let's throw some numbers out there. We Say we make $500 per game, or say we make $1,000 per game, or say we make $1,500 per game. Um, th- that translates into how many games um, we have to sell to overcome the R&D costs. Right. Traditionally, Stern says it costs a million dollars to make a game. Uh, that's a lot of money, and there's no way it needs to take that much in today's world. But because you have artists who can kick out, you know, an art package in a week or two or a month, and you've got sound guys who can can piece together things, and you have the game playfield designer who can work for what? What's 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 a typical game development cycle? A year, nine months, a year Something and a half? Around there, some some games longer, but okay. yeah, around there, a year. So fifty, seventy-five, maybe a hundred thousand dollars max for for a playfield designer. You have a mechanical engineer who works for six or nine months, et cetera. You add up these numbers, and you should probably be around between I don't know three hundred thousand dollars to maybe six hundred thousand dollars. And you can do the math and figure out how many you need to sell to get there. And then going back to the platform, if there are just throw out a number, a thousand machines out there. You can estimate how many of those machines will result in the purchases for each new game, whether it's 10% or 25% or 50%. I imagine in the short term, it's a higher percentage because every new customer wants most of the, the few games that we have in the library now. And five years from now, when the library is a lot bigger, they'll be more selective. But you can estimate those numbers and you can kind of figure out what your profit would be if you sold that many of each game. Um, long story short, once we get to that threshold, and a thousand seems like a good number to me, when we have a thousand machines out there, if each new game sells to half of those people, or a quarter or a third of those people, then we're right about the break-even point on the development costs for a game. Right. 
So how do you get to a thousand? So how do we get? Well, that's the question, right? How do we get to a thousand? So we've started the company seven years ago, and then we spent our uh, most of our life building out a platform, right? We spent our R and D money building out this thing that is a P three. And people like to say, "Well, you worked on Lexi Lightspeed for seven years, or you worked on the game for seven years." But what we did is we paid our dues and we built the platform. And yeah, Lexi didn't sell a thousand units, but Lexi plus Cosmic Kart Racing plus our next game plus our next game, if we get to a thousand units before we run out of money, we cross that threshold and then we're made. So we just have to get to that point. And back to the question, how do we get to that point? Um, in my opinion, we get to that point with, with help. Um, and that help is new games. We develop games. We create a situation where people want more P3 games and hopefully we find the money or, or make the money selling P-Rocks to other manufacturers or we make enough money selling our current games to people where we can afford a budget to build a bigger, higher budget game, maybe get you know an expensive theme or whatever. Um, by the way, we're working on number game number four. I call it game number four because it's actually our fourth play field now. And it addresses a lot of the things people complain about. It is it is a an exciting theme and an immersive package that has the whole world under glass thing. It has a whole team of developers working on it. So we're hopeful, of course, that our next game gets us closer. Is it a license? But what theme? we're missing, um, it, it's an exciting theme. I'm not saying if it's a license or not. Okay. Um, it's not a license. No, I'm saying it. Okay. So the pathway to a thousand is help and 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 when you when you define that you mean we just need to make it more attractive right and so that comes in the form of a new game helping us out right a new experience a new so i mean does it does it because in the current form jerry you you guys have to be projecting we're not on on track to sell a thousand of these at ten thousand a pop so the 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 game needs to be the driver with what metrics like with our current game library just just right now in the current game library there, there's no are you you guys are probably not on track to sell a thousand units right no we absolutely won't sell right. a thousand so, units without 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 increasing the game library yeah right so and you and you're looking at the industry right i mean we're talking about this in a little bit of a vacuum but you're looking at uh, what other manufacturers are putting out there and you know when, when you hit a home run with the theme and the experience is is golden you're watching these companies sell you know blow by a thousand units sold right so mm -hmm. it's all riding on an experience to carry the platform right mm -hmm. okay so yes yeah, i mean no pressure that's, that's a big <laughs> no pressure that's a big part of it right if 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 it's another interesting thing about a platform play, if we come out with that you know that killer app, that big theme that sells, it could sell 500, it could sell 2,000, I don't know, um, but that re-enables the interest in older games, right? So if we come out with, I don't know, pick a pick a popular recent movie, Avengers Endgame. If Avengers Endgame pinball machine, if we develop it and we sell 5,000 machines with that game then some percentage of those 5,000 people are also going to take advantage of the platform and buy Lexis or Cosmic Kart Racings or other things. So the fact that we haven't sold 1,000 machines with our current games doesn't mean that we won't make value, that we won't create 
create profit out of our first games. Sure, it's sure. it's a different paradigm. It, it it works its out. It's a long play instead of a short play. We don't judge ourselves based off the performance of a single game, although it's either good or bad, right? And we want it to be good. But a a bad game for the P3 doesn't mean imminent death. No, I it mean... means it means we have a chance to to struggle or we will struggle in the short term while we work towards creating new games and new content and partnerships and potentially getting investors or whatever to help us get to that thousand. Right. And once we get to that thousand, it's gravy. I mean, it, it's a snowball effect. This is a this is a paradigm that once you get over the hump, it snowballs. It it, it increases right. in momentum. So every so but it does but it does all boil down to you have to make a pinball game that a thousand people are willing to shell out ten thousand dollars. I get that there's a platform, but you know how these buyers are, Jerry. They 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 want I a disagree. game that they need. But they but 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 how does it not come we, down we to the next game? We don't game? have to sell. We don't have to sell a thousand of any game. If we sell two hundred of this game, five hundred of the next one, and right, right. three hundred of the next one, we're at a thousand. But but right in its current form with the current library. It's not selling hundreds and hundreds of units, is it? So it's 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 been. I, I've read that we sold eight, I think, and then I read that we sold twelve. And you say we sold fifty? I think we well, sold close? a lot more than you guys are saying, but we're we're not we're not in the five hundred range yet. Okay. So you're you're you're. It's a, a sl- it's a slow burn towards a thousand right now, and and a hot title could be the accelerant you need, though. I mean, we agree on that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so when when do we expect this next title? When it's ready. We're 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 not going to show it. We're not going to talk about it. Not only until it's done, but until it's on the floor. Right. Now, does, so, so we want to we want to go to a show and show people, show it to people. Um, and you say this all the time, and it makes perfect sense. You are the genius marketer. Um, that you go and show a game and get people all excited about it and don't ship it for six months, then you, you've lost all your momentum. You've lost interest and they're, they're off to the new exciting thing. So um, if we can afford to not try to manufacture interest and excitement on a future game, then obviously it makes sense not to. Right. So what's your biggest fear right now? My biggest fear I guess my biggest fear is that the people who look at the P3 today and dismiss it because it either looks different or feels different or because they judged it four years ago and either didn't realize or didn't care that it's a multi-platform or a multi-game kind of platform. My biggest fear is that first impression that we can never overcome that. And I don't know how to change people's first impression. And when we started, I mean, we're, we didn't start with $16 million or whatever Deep Root started with. We didn't start with big investors that, you know, American Pinball started with. We started literally with $250,000 in friends and family money. Um, so we didn't really have a choice. We had to try to piecemeal a thing together, take it to shows, get people to see it, start building a, you know, a name recognition and that kind of thing. We've been lucky that we've also developed this PROC control system that that most of the, the new manufacturers have adopted. So we've been able to supplement our slow P3 growth with very exciting, very fast um, 
control system sales, and that's been able to maintain our ability to to keep doing the R and D on the side. Um, but my biggest fear is that even if we come out, let's say we announced Avengers Endgame or, or The Matrix or I don't know, n- name the super popular theme that would sell out. You, you want Karate Kid or something? Um, Ak- Akira. <laughs> no, I kid. <laughs> No, those are all great what, titles. What if what if we announce one of those? Are people going to say, "Holy crap, that's awesome! The P3 is great for showing that. I'm buying one." Or are they going to be like, "Oh, that's that piece of junk that I saw five years ago, and it it had these weird flippers, and I wish someone else would make it." No, I mean it, you're going to have to change perception, right? If Stern says, "I'm make we're making the Matrix or Karate Kid," they sell out sight unseen of the LEs overnight, right? Five hundred out the door before anyone's even seen it. Uh, because people already know what to expect, right? And I th- and I think to your point, if people's expectations aren't super high or they're still confused by how the platform will br- will bring that theme to life, uh, you're gonna have to win them over, right? But that's not to say it's impossible. It's just gonna be harder because that's just how people are when it comes to uh, forming an opinion about a product, right? So, what, Jared, do you get upset when you see like Deep Root getting all this like accolades and they show nothing, and and people are like, the new innovation in town is a company that hasn't shown anything? Uh, um, yes, but, but but the reason, I mean, I understand why it happens because they have a lot of money and they've they've made a lot of exciting hires, and they've basically created momentum based on secrecy because they can say great things, we're going to do amazing things, and. Just wait for it. Just wait for it. It's coming. We have so much money, and we're throwing it all into forty plus animators, and we're we're doing all this stuff, and it's going to be awesome. So so people expect it to be awesome. Um, but what's frustrating for me is that all of the things, not all of them, but probably ninety percent of the things Robert said about you know innovations and things they're trying to do, and and the things even you talk about that you ask them that you hope that they'll be doing, like I don't know the storytelling and and. Uh, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, like and net, network some, play and yeah, network play and all those features, tutorials that and stuff like that. You think would be super cool in a in a financially backed uh, pinball game development um, and then a product. We've done all that stuff. We just we just we've done it in a way that hasn't caught on yet. People people look to them with enthusiasm and they see all that stuff on ours, but because we, we haven't put out that killer app yet, they, they don't relate to it. Right. It all comes so down to the game then again, it, right? It's all the game, but it doesn't come, it doesn't come down to the game with them yet. Right. right. Because it, everyone's it, just super excited and jazzed about the possibility of getting a game that, you know what? It might be, it might be terrible. Right. I mean, they've, they've got a lot to prove considering the, the verbal sort of hyperbole they've put out into the hobby. Yes. Most we games have a lot were, to prove they said they're going to make the most games ever in 2019. That's not yeah, happening. Well, <laughs> I, I, the, the only way that even makes sense for me is if they're also doing a platform. It, it makes zero business sense to come out with, you know, 12 single themed pinball machines. They'd basically be monopolizing uh, they, they'd be they'd be eating their own profits. They, but, they'd be. But Jerry, when you see these, you see these millionaires in their game rooms and they've got fifteen games, twenty games lined up, do you look at those people and say like, that's just the old way of doing it? No, no. I mean, there are people that have game rooms full of traditional stand-up video games too. I mean, people can do whatever they want with their money, but 
But in order for the industry to grow, for the industry to even sustain all these manufacturers, they can't all be making single-themed machines. No, no collector is going to go buy every single game from every manufacturer. So you're making money with with P Rock, right? And you you've you've almost made the engine that allows there to be pinball variety. And a lot of people are using P Rock, and you've you've actually been the reason and the catalyst why there's a lot more pinball games. Is that not enough, right? I mean, couldn't you just sit back and just feel good knowing that you created like the Unreal Engine of pinball and everyone's using it to bring more product out and you're you're kind of behind a lot of the expansion. Why the need to why the need for the platform? So there there's there's all the reasons we talked about earlier about why I think the current, you know, market isn't sustainable and the way the path to sustain sustenance the, the path to maintaining um, the pinball market is to shift the paradigm but beyond that there there's personal interest right and there's things that I like to do how I want to spend my time and I decided geez it was eight or ten years ago when I was doing the same thing for companies day after day that I wanted to create stuff. I wanted to to design new things for industries that I think need them. Um, and I made the P-Rock board actually as a little side project at home in nights and weekends. And, and the idea originally of the P-Rock board was to be a controller for this concept I had for a machine, which was the P3. And I needed a, a modern control, uh, control system for it. But throughout the process of designing it, I, I made it backwards compatible with other machines. And then I started building other boards. And then I started marketing those other boards and started building up that that community of homebrew developers. And I mean, seven years later, now the P-Rock was 2009, so it's almost 10 years later. The homebrew channels on, or the custom pinball development channels on like our Slack channel and on Pinside and stuff, we have two, two to 250 people that are building custom pinball machines for themselves with their families, which is super cool. Um, but but that doesn't drive me anymore. I, I designed that board. It took me about two weeks to design the board. It took me another few weeks to design or to write the, you know, the software control system, the software framework that that has since grown and evolved into things that people can use to to build their machines. That that's cool. That's fun. It makes money now. It didn't make enough money at the time to turn it into a business, but it makes money now. But supporting that doesn't interest me. I mean, it doesn't drive me. What drives me is creating stuff, is creating new ideas, is implementing new technologies and putting that into products that I think need it. And that's what the P3 is for me. It, the, the, what the P3 can do, just the features on it, the ball tracking on it, the wall and scoop module, the, the, the being able to physically change the entire game in about 30 seconds with a completely new shot layout is awesome. People who own the P3 love it. They love the ability to switch up the games. Yes, of course, they all want more content or they all want a popular theme or whatever, but they love it. And that, to me, is so much more rewarding than people buying a control system board that I developed right. because I've created this thing. I've created this thing that people like, that other people can create content for and deliver this thing in a, in a whole package that, by the way, we did in, with $250,000 what it would take another company Name the price, $4 million, $5 million. We did it just because we wanted to do it. Right. And I actually wonder, when you talk about companies like Deep Root or another company that has huge money, 
um, huge money kind of makes you lazy, right? You, you go to your job, you get paid, you do the thing. And yes, there are passionate people who work there. I'm not, I'm not trying to say there aren't. And, and they're passionate about creating a, a cool product. But doing it without that budget, it makes you only go to work because you have a belief in the product and because you want to get it done. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's you know lazy. I don't know if it's lazy as much as it can easily make you inefficient. Because you feel like there's no consequences for making sure every dollar is being spent effectively. Because, you know, there's a lot more money to go burn if we swirl. Like you could swirl for months and then keep swirling. And I see that with big companies every day. Um, So, okay. So, I mean, Jerry, it seems like you're at a crossroad right now. Platforms designed. There is a portfolio of games. Thousand games out in homes seems to be like a, you know a, a a goal to get to a threshold a good number. in which it becomes a lot easier to attract developers because you can show them that there's a thousand willing recipients right of their innovation if they if they can develop something for it well yes at that point is when it makes sense for other developers to do it but it also makes sense for us to do it right we don't necessarily once we get to a thousand then it makes more sense for us to, or then we have the budget to create our, our own new games for the platform right. and see the path to profitability through those. So yes, we think we've developed something kind of like a Nintendo where other companies, EA Sports and whatnot, can create content for it. But if they don't, that doesn't make the platform a failure either because we'll be profitable making games for it. Right. So what what's are you guys in a race against time or do you have a lot of time to figure this out? The time the, the the race is against the passion the team brings to the table, right? Because we're all still working for either no pay or very little pay because we believe in the long term potential of the platform. Um, that only that only sustains itself for so long before you either have you know life changes where you need to go make enough money to support something or somebody, or you lose the passion for it. And right now, everyone still has the passion for it. And in fact, every time we go to a show, and I've told this story a lot, when we used to go to shows, we built our whole development team from taking the P3 to shows because we'd, we'd meet a developer or two or five who are like, holy crap, this thing is awesome. I see the potential of it. I want to help develop something. Or not even that. They're like, I want to use it and develop my own thing. And we'll talk to them and be like, hey, what, what if you developed a game for it and we, we sold it? Or whatever. So we've built the team just based on interest in the platform, interest in the features, interest in the possibility of this turning into all those things that I told you it should turn into. Um, and the race is against that interest. If right. people lose the passion for it, then I don't know. If I went and if I went and got married and had children or whatever, I I would have to bring in a paycheck every day. Right. No, it makes sense. I don't have that. I don't have that today. It's your show, Jerry. And you got to keep going with the questions. I, 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 oh. Yeah, no, it's your show. I'm on your show. So, so okay. So, given that my fear that we talked about is getting people to basically get over, or my fear is that they won't get over their first impressions. How do we do that? How do you, the the, the marketing master? Yeah, you need get to, people you, over over you, that first impression. You need to kill their game. No, it's like, it's almost like this. It's like, you could have a girl that's kind of average, but she's really, there's beauty underneath 
God, I'm going to get in trouble for this analogy. All I'm saying is, is it's like imagine someone who you might might not have had the best first impression, but all of a sudden they go to the gym for six months, they start taking care of themselves, you see them six months later, and boom, you can change your perception immediately. And that's why, look, and what I'm saying is you need a sexy title. I mean, it's 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 all it's it all comes down to that, and you need a title that really showcases what the platform can do. All that tech that's in there, you know, how do you how do you wrap it up in 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 one title that will then like open the door for everything you've been describing? I mean, that's that's that is the only advice I can give with any pinball game is you got to make it an experience that people want. So your advice to me a couple weeks ago was what the heck are you doing why don't you just go back and make a yeah i mean a game jerry a, i still think i still think you can make a traditional pinball machine and make millions of dollars but you don't want that see it, it's that's right if you if you said chris i want to make a million dollars i the last thing i would do is, is the last thing i would advise you to do is go create a whole new pinball platform but if you said well, the chris, second to last thing you would say is is <laughs> the second to last thing you would suggest is go build a pinball company Right, absolutely. But if I were to advise anybody to be successful in pinball, I would just say make a make a better game than Stern, but ship it within two months of reveal, and you'll be fine. And if you if you if you think like how many companies have actually achieved that, none. Yeah, really? because there's a lot more to it than than potentially absolutely. a, a, a sideline side looker. That's sees. why. But that, but at the end of the day, for me, for me, for me. I have no interest in it. What drives me isn't the potential to make a lot of money. Of course, I hope to make a lot of money along the way doing the thing. But the thing I want to do is the thing that, you know, that drives me that it's, it's that product, it's that technology, it's doing that thing that makes me excited when I wake up every day to go work, because I like to develop stuff. It's like, you know, Friday night in college. Yeah, go on. I was just going to say a lot of people like to go out and drink or, you know, do this and that. There's a segment of the uh, there's a segment of society who likes to, you know, write code or design things or or to create a to create a robot in their basement or, you know, to do something. And that's what drives me. That's what I like. That's what I want to do. Yeah. So, look, I mean, the the platform is where it's at. And the next thing that has to happen is is a hit experience on it. I think you agree with that. I guess the question I have, too, for Jerry is like being being in on this dream for so long do you ever feel like there could be a point where you would just adapt and try because it's not really is it is it pinball that you really want to if, like be successful in or is it does it always have to be what it is today like this p3 platform multimorphic because would there ever be a point where you would just be like it just didn't work but i'll try another way to, to expand pinball? No. Um, either either the P3 is successful, either we figure out to, uh, whether it's a game or whether it's a tweak of something on the platform itself that, that we, you know, bring to market, or, or that's it. Or, or, or I'm going to go apply my design, my design, goals and my my creativity and you know my interests i'm going to apply them to a different to a whole different industry i left an industry i was making really good money doing doing working for networking 
data networking companies, designing equipment, designing, you know, very complex data switches and intrusion prevention systems and new encryption technologies and those kind of things. That was interesting work, but the, you know, the big company mentality and going to work every day and sitting in meetings and, and you know, go, going through all the red tape makes it a drag. So me personally, I feel like what drives me is creating new technologies, designing new things, writing new code or designing new FPJ logic or doing whatever for an industry that I think it should have an impact. And if it doesn't work out in pinball, it, I'll, I'll do something else. Totally fair. I, I have no I desire have at all to build a traditional machine. Right. Well, I have to respect that. So... I mean that's that's it. We're uh, we're at almost an hour now, Chris. Um, do you have any questions for me? Um, I, I you know I think we've 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 talked a lot about the main <laughs> questions we had. I guess you know, I mean we've 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 had this conversation you know a few times now, right? And and I think it's all going to come down to that hit. And as you look at the landscape now, do, do you do you get worried, Jerry, that there's just so many players in the game now? Because, you know, to reach that thousand threshold, every new company makes it harder for you to find those customers, right? Are, do you ever, I mean, sort of. I mean, sort it has of. to. But the way it I... has to. I mean, come on. The more, the, more, the more product in the same category must make it, you, it must make it more difficult. If it was just Stern and Jersey Jack and you, a lot easier to find a thousand new homes versus American pinball, Chicago gaming company, you know, deep, deep root. Even when I say deep root, I'm like, I don't even know what I'm saying is available. Um, but, but you know, there's a lot out there. So, but there's two aspects to it, right? Because most of the new companies that start up use our control system. So their success helps us continue to, developing our dream but ultimately back to the beginning of the conversation the more companies that are out there making machines the quicker the industry is going to collapse and it's not doom and gloom it's not going to collapse next year it's, it's going to be this slowly slowly one company is going to fall out and then and and then another year later maybe another one does but ultimately the more companies that are doing it are going to make it happen faster and i believe that when that starts happening the platform machine finally finally gets looked at in different eyes or through different eyes from people who are like, well, where where do I spend my money in a way that I get a lot more value for it? So the P and right now be, it's it's could be it's a, all s it, go on. it's all it's all it's all guesswork, right? We don't know we don't know what the industry is really going to do. We don't know if if it's going to start collapsing. We think it will. But we know for sure today, even with the games that we have now, that the P3 offers more value per game in the sense of the, each game costs 2500 or 1500 or mini games cost 300 or 200 or whatever. So people who want to build a game library, people who want to you know, own, own the complex deep rule set game like Alexi Lightspeed or Cosmic Car Racing, but also have things on their favorite pinball machine that their kids can enjoy too, like Barnyard or Rocks or Cannon Lagoon or those kind of things. We have that today. So, um, do, you ever look at, do you ever look at these pinball buyers, Jerry, and, 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 and ask yourself, like, man, do these people even want value? with what they spend their money on. 
I mean, people are buying $9,000 games that clearly, you know, the same game is being sold for almost half the price. But why are they doing it? Yeah, but you look at, you look at, I don't know, I see Facebook posts from a lot of distributors or whatever, and they say, Johnny just bought his second pinball machine. Now he's got two. And you see a picture of his room, and it's two pinball machines and couches and TVs and stuff, and that's it. There's no more room. So, yeah, every day new people are buying pinball machines who aren't going to go build a a room or a, a warehouse and fill them up with machines. So the P3 makes more sense for these people. Right. So it all goes back to the same thing. Once we get that content out there, people start looking at it through new eyes. They start seeing the value. It, it's just a thing that makes more sense. It's just we're not over the hurdle yet. Right. And, and you know, it's funny for me because I, I was listening when you were reading that uh, – what was his name? Ben Crane, I think, the email from Ben Crane, who was basically saying the P3 is not fun and uh, ball tracking is not fun and choosing a game is not fun. And that, that makes no sense for me. He's judging the platform because it's a platform because it's not a single-themed game. If, right. if, you, if you stop looking at the P3 through the eyes of someone who looked at it four years ago when it was you know a prototype machine and it was just coming up and we were working through stuff, if you look at it again today, all the points he made are outdated and don't make sense anymore. He said, he said the flippers don't work or they break and then it costs $750 to buy a new flipper assembly. The flippers, the flippers are the most reliable flippers in the industry by far. The testing we do on them is is multiples longer than traditional flippers. And by the way, you don't have to buy a $750 flipper assembly replacement. Just pull the assembly out, swap the coil or the, the rubber or the bat, just like you do on a traditional flip, flipper, and, and you're good to go. So again, it's people looking at it and judging it based on what it was in the past. And we've got to get people over that. Right. It's all going to come down to that Halo title. I mean, if you look at the way, ironically, Microsoft sold Xboxes, it's because they had a game called Halo, and that moved the platform. And we've said this before. And so what do you tell your team working on that title? Get this right. <laughs> what do you say? I mean, are they motivated? Is this it? Like, are, I mean, are, are you Yeah, I mean, so obviously we're... we're Who's We're looking at this title like <laughs> who's designing it? We, we have a team. We, we have a. It's not someone who's designed pinball games before, no. But it is a, an industry or a, a guy who's been collecting for years and is a creative designer for other industries. Um, but we're we're all. <laughs> I, I hesitate to say this out loud, but but I'm going to um, creating a shootable pinball layout isn't really that hard, right? It just requires some diligence and play testing and making white woods and seeing if the shot flow works. Um, what's hard about the pinball development is creating the entire package and orchestrating light shows and sound and music and, and all that stuff together and tying that into a theme with a cohesive story and doing all that stuff. So we have a group of pinball people, of pinball players. We have tournament players and we also have beginner players. And all these people are on a team together. It's not super hard to come out with a shot layout that works. It's not super hard to conceive of mechanical toys that will be super interesting and interactive in fun ways. You just have to have a mechanical engineer who can design them. Um, we have that. We're working with a dedicated audio team. We're working with people who do video production for a living. 
Um, we're working with a creative designer who does creative design for products and marketing. So we have a team of people of experts, a team of people of experts. We have a team of experts and we're working towards that full package. We've had people complain about our artwork in the past or, or there's not a super immersive playfield layout with, you know, toys and things. Jersey Jack's the, ma- the master at it, right? They develop these playfields that you look at and you feel like you're inside of the environment that the theme is. Um, we're getting better at that. That's what we're doing on this game. We're implementing technology or mechanical assemblies that go down lower on our physical playfield. One of the the biggest things people used to say about the P3, one of the biggest knocks was, well, you have this huge LCD and there's nothing on top of it, therefore you can only do very open games. And we've long said that's not true. We can float assemblies over the center of the playfield just like we float the flippers over the playfield. This game that we're developing will have the most versatile physical mechanical device ever developed in a pinball game. Um, and it's integrated into the Wait, theme. That, that sounds like a deep root. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like know, a deep doesn't root it? Statement. Well, repeat well, that he'll again? Say it, he'll say it next week. He'll right. say it next week. It, it has um, the what? It, it, it is the most versatile physical pinball mechanism ever developed. Okay. Write it down. Mark my versatile. words. You'll say the same thing when you see it. All right. Okay, so, but 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 that's part of a package, right? Right. To make a, a physical mechanism doesn't make a game fun. What makes a game fun and interesting is that immersion, is that gameplay, is is a attainable set of rules. It, it, it's a complete package, and, and we have a team together that's that's learned from the past, and we believe it's putting that package together. We're super excited about the game. We can't wait to show people. So the other thing that I always ask is market research to land on the theme. Mm-hmm. How, did, how, how, how what what did you guys do? We we spent six months researching themes, and we did have a focus group. We had a team of people. How come I wasn't invited? Who, you you know well, I'm I the wonder. focus. I'm the I, I'm the theme I, I, freaking wizard. Well, if I enjoyed any of the themes that you've recommended, you might have been on my list. <laughs> uh, um, the Karate Kid I like actually, but most of the other ones you said. I can't remember. It was a there was a podcast you had like three or four weeks ago with were a guy guys, who just went talked about themes. Were you bummed out that Oktoberfest was taken? You know what? I, I was I'm kind of excited about uh, um, crap Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, that just sounds really exciting to me. Yeah, I mean like, I, what about Valkyrie? No, I, okay. So you guys are excited. I don't, about I don't even theme? I don't even know Valkyrie. Yeah, this this is a this is a super fun theme. People will will absolutely relate to it. They'll enjoy the music. They'll connect with the music. They'll enjoy the theme. They'll connect with it. Um, and the gameplay for it ties in perfectly to the theme. This is a fully immersive game, and we're super excited about it. It sounds like this one has to be a hit for you guys. Do you, do you consider it that as well or no? You you say that. You like to say that. You if, say if you guys that, do all you this, You say though. that if the P3 doesn't come out with a with a you know a killer app game now or next, then they're done. But that's the, what you say. I, I am saying if if this flops though, right? Or not? I mean, if this doesn't if this doesn't meet your what expectations, is, do you? I guess I guess the challenge for you guys, right, is how do you keep up the enthusiasm? Of all the all the hard work that people are putting into this new one, if it doesn't take off, is is it going to be hard to get the morale back? 
It may be, yes, because we spent a long time developing this game. But, but, but what what number do we have to meet for that enthusiasm to drop off? I, I don't know what that is. If this game sells, you know, 400 games, is that a flop or is that a success? I mean, look, if you based upon your metrics, right? If it gets you closer to a thousand or near a thousand, then then you then you've you've reached your goal. I mean, ultimately though, you'll have to make a profit, right? And that, you know, I I don't know the numbers, right? I mean, it's it's a it's a long play for sure. If you wanted to make short term profit, you would have just made a traditional machine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I so, don't think, I don't I don't think people get that. The the people that write into you know podcasts or that post on Pinside, the, the the people who post the negative comments, they are always comparing one theme on the P3 to a traditional game. They're comparing a $25 game to a, uh, you know, an $8,000 game. And, and that's, that's fine on one hand, because I'm, I'm certainly happy to compare Lexi Lightspeed or Cosmic Kart Racing to uh, pick your game, pick your game, uh, Swords of Rage or whatever. Right. I think the feature set is comparable and the gameplay is just as fun, if not more fun. But we're talking about apples and oranges because... We come out with another game, it's going to cost $2,500. We're going to bring this new game to market. This game that I'm telling you is super exciting, has a super immersive theme, has all these cool things. And I don't know if it's $2,500 or $2,700 or, or whatever, but it's going to be a fraction of the price of a new game from anybody else. Yes, of course, people will have to buy the platform if they don't have it, but they only buy that once, and then they can build their game library. Right. I guess the final question I have, so, so let's say hypothetically I buy a P3, and it's it's what how much is it 10k right now it's it's 10k it comes with a 2500 hundred dollar game okay so let's say like i buy and each it beats title is 2500 right let's say you buy like three games on top of the platform and so you're looking at then you're in 17,500 right on, on, on all in and you go to sell it unlike a video game right in which games lose value quickly and and you can sell just the game not the platform right people don't sell their xbox with their halo cartridge you're you're kind of seeing this as like this is going to be your machine for life right i mean it's 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 also going to be difficult to have a a resale if you invest heavily in the platform today today i agree with you yeah i mean as soon as we have we reach that whatever that number is a thousand or more um then people will probably start selling individual games to one another because they played it for a year and now want to give it to someone else and, you know, spend their money on something else. But, but yes, in the short term, you're absolutely right. Okay. Jerry, it's, it's, I mean, I've enjoyed being on your show for an hour. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. It's, uh, been looking forward to it for a while to have somebody of your, you know, your prestige and your knowledge on the show. It's, I mean, it's, it's, rare. it's great for us. It's rare. No, for episode no, number two. No other pinball podcast will invite me on. So I'm, 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 I'm elated, elated. Well, they're, <laughs> it, they're just following your own advice. Right. Oh, I know. I know. This is how it should be. Well, Jerry, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, but no, and all seriously, Chris, I appreciate you, you you inviting me to have the talk. And it's always fun for me to talk about the platform. I get that people don't really relate to it yet the economics are different and it's there's a huge education process to teach people that this new different thing um, isn't bad just because it's different and we have super fun games we have the potential for a lot more super fun games we're blowing the price of other games out of the water 
and it's just a different animal. So yeah, we have a marketing problem for sure that we need to overcome. And that's why I like talking to you or listening to you talk about marketing things on your podcast. But uh, yeah, I appreciate it. One last question, because I know the listeners are like, you didn't ask this ballpark of when we might see this versatile new mech playfield experience. Yeah, we really don't have a, a the reason I don't have the date is because a lot of our people are nights and weekends um, because we don't have that big budget. So it might be before the end of the year. It might be at TPF next year. It 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 will be ready when it's shown though. Okay. All right. So when it's when it's shown, it's you can pop it in. When you when you see the machine, when we show it to you, you the game, you will be able to buy P3s with this game or add this game to your existing P3. Okay. We'll we'll, sh- we'll ship them that week. It's the only way to do it. I don't. I, you know, there'd be no re- there'd be no rationale or reason to do it any other way. You would just end up. I don't know. I I, I heard you just pre-ordered a game again. But I saw it. I played it, and I also you saw it. But you're not going to have it for what six months again. Yeah, it's a refundable deposit. You know, the the thing with these refundable deposits, they really mean nothing. I mean, it's at any right. Point. They're not deposits. So who cares? Exactly. Like you can just get it back. Um, but look, so I, I know also- you get on Charlie. You get on Charlie for his non-refundable deposit. But at some point, when you get a commit from from somebody, you turn that into whatever buying parts for the machines that that person is that you have to build for that person. So I never really understood the refundable deposit thing. What other industries do to refundable deposits? I mean, you can put a deposit down on a, on a car and not and not take the car when it comes in. I think so. Um, but you lose the money, I think. You might, yeah. You know, I, I never understood the refundable deposits. I never I, – I don't understand a lot of what goes on in pinball, to be honest, in terms of the decisions with, 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 with these companies. Because, yeah, as you know, like a refundable deposit is a false order. Like it's, it, 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 it might right. never materialize. And, Charlie was smart from a business sense of doing the the non-refundable. Um, it just so happened to be unfortunate that people waited a year. But now people are getting their games. Yeah. I think people are going to be No, happy. I know. But 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 at the same time, people knew what they were getting into and made the choice. So Yeah. Well, look, I hope I get invited back on your show, episode number three, sometime in the future, Jerry. So thanks for having me as a guest. You are the only one I would ever consider bringing on our show. So thanks, Chris. All right. Have a good day. So there it was, P3 Jerry talking about what the future holds. Hope you enjoyed it. Look, it, it, it's all going to come down to whether or not that new title they have coming out finally shows people the potential of the platform. I think he agrees. I think you agree. And only time will tell when it will happen. Now, when you look at the timing of it, though, you know, it kind of seems like nah, we might not even see it this year. I don't know about you, but I, I sort of shudder. And shake when I think about how many pinball titles are going to be trying to get into your home and into your wallet by the end of 2019. I'm getting fatigued. There's just so much and yet not enough. Do you feel that way? I'm going to do a whole podcast about that. I feel like there's a lot more than we ever could have bargained for in pinball. But I feel like we're not satisfied with any of it. And I think it shows. And I think people are starting to realize they just want like a few magical titles and the rest of it just just should go away. Anyway, that was episode 355 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. We'll be back this week with more exciting pinball shows. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs>